0: Oh, not we go. The official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, this is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball.
1: And on this hump day, midweek, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day, Ballsy, with you in the chair. You are my sports cage shareholders, a.k.a. the listeners. So, you can always weigh in on our text line, 936-6262. And it's powered by Capital Ford Lincoln, Saskatchewan's number one Ford dealership. The question de jour. Now, we know we're on the verge of March Madness. You know, I told you yesterday how I picked. I picked Tennessee because I like orange. And I picked Gonzaga because I've been to Spokane, Washington, and they're in that area. So that's all the research I did for March Madness. Now, um, we're not going to break down March Madness, but what we are doing is having the Sports Cage Tournament of Awesome. I've picked out 64 things. We had our first bracket yesterday, and friends beat out money. I voted for money, but friends overwhelmingly moves to the next round. Today's bracket is simple, and you can weigh in. At 936-6262, the number to text. Golf or snowboarding slash skiing? I know how Craig and the rider coach, would vote. In fact, he's already texted me and said skiing, snowboarding. So we got one for that. But golf... You like golf? I'm not much of a golfer. I'll try to thread this through the show and ask our, gu- and ask our guests what they think. And man, we got a great show once again. Dante DiCari, a voice of the Pats, joins us at 4.20. Before 5 o'clock, Bob Stauffer, one of the voices of the Edmonton Oilers on their radio and TV uh, coverage, will join us. We're going to hear from Henry Burris of the BC Lions as he's back in the CFL. That's good news. We can chant Henry again. Henry. Our profiles feature. We go under the helmet with Jake Hardy of your Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We got a twin bill with Farhan Lalji before six. We take a walk down memory lane on Wednesday with Jamie Borum, coach of the Okanagan Sun. He was in the running to be the coach of the U of R Rams, as a matter of fact, but Mark McConkie, of course, got that job. And speaking of the U of R, Steve Burroughs will join us before the show wraps up. He's the head coach of the U of R men's basketball team and an all-around cool dude but we start the show off in fine style with the guy that makes me sound like i'm 13 years old in puberty mike hogan voice of the toronto argonauts uh, the uh the guy who's the the makes everything go around for their communications department mike how are you my friend Good.
2: Are you calling me old?
1: Is no, I'm. What you're doing? No, I'm calling you golden tones. I sound like I'm. F- oh, I'm okay, a, okay. yeah, I sound like a little whiny guy next to you. Uh, so, Hoagie, <laughs> lots to unpack here. Um, I guess first off, I I see the latest story here, and we got the commissioner in town. Randy's road trip has Randy's road trip. Rolled like I know he's around the Toronto area, but has he had his stop with the fans in Toronto yet? I forget where this started. Did it start on yeah, west? Not yet. I I think it,
3: it's it it seems to be coming from west to east. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure if we've announced the official date for. Uh, the commissioner's visit with Argo fans, but uh, I'm sure he will hit us up on his way back home.
1: So we have him tomorrow live on the show down here at the stadium. They'll have their Grey cup uh, festivities. The pep band's going to be down. There should be a great time with myself and the professor Don Hewitt, but he was in Calgary, I guess. And he had talked about uh, a couple of things and we'll dive deeper into it with him tomorrow, but, Drive to Survive series Kind of like that for the CFL I like that idea My son, uh, not a big Formula 1 guy But he did get into Drive to Survive And I'm just two episodes in He's getting up early in the morning now To watch uh, Formula 1 Which I never thought I'd ever see And he loves it And it's because of Drive to Survive We need something like that for the CFL And they're talking maybe like Nickelodeon-like broadcasts too Is kind of an idea they'd like to see
3: yeah, I, uh, the, the Nickelodeon will start without one since you finished with it. I, I love that idea. Uh, I know that the, the there are a lot of hardcore football fans that thought it was pretty silly. Well, guess what? You're not the person they're marketing to. Um, the one thing, and it, it, it's especially true in our market, and I think it's really true across the CFL, where the brush that paints the league is that it's an older demo. And the one thing that we really have to be cognizant of, and, and maybe in Toronto more than anywhere else, is we've got to get that new generation of fan coming I mean, games as a kid. And, and when we hear from, you know, I'm in my late 50s. When we hear from guys my age and older, it's, oh, I remember going to the games of the C&E, and I'd go down with my folks and or my older brother, and we'd take the streetcar down. And, you know, then we lost a generation. We've got to get people now who are going to the games to start bringing those younger kids to game uh, games. And if we can, we can get them involved through, you know, a, a game that's geared toward a younger demo what's wrong with that and you know the drive to survive i your your kid isn't the only one i mean the, the so many people that i know have talked about that series and now watch f1 that had zero interest in f1 beforehand and it's been tried a couple of times we did one with the argos in 2010 mm-hmm. i believe when barker was the head coach and you know it was great i don't know how many people have turned on to the sport but you know, every little bit helps. And I think people are now with, especially with the NFL, with hard knocks, etc., people want to see that kind of stuff. And uh, if it helps, if it, if it starts turning the needle back toward younger people getting involved with the CFL, Have at it. Giddy up. Let's go. Yeah, the Red
1: Blacks have already taken the lead through the creation of their own YouTube series, Behind the R, and you mentioned what you guys did. The one thing about football, though, Hoagie, uh, (laughs) it's tough to break the mentality. Like They're very silo-ish. They like to keep everything underground, everything secret. They don't like to peel back the curtain very much in football. We're
3: we're lucky, though. I mean, this started when I was working at TSN before I moved into a a role with the Argos full-time. Uh, Barker was the general manager. Scott Milano, which was the head coach. It was the Anthony Coombs draft, which every year that was. John Gott that trade with uh, with Ottawa. Yeah, And I, I asked if I could go and write what happens in the draft room. And they hummed and they hawed, and they said, you know what? Yeah. And the only stipulation was, don't write about anybody that we don't draft. If we're in trade talks, don't talk about the guy that we're offering up. That kind of thing. Um, and they said, yes. And I've been doing it all but one of those years since. So like our organization understands the impact of going behind the scenes. So I go in, I write on draft day and free agency day uh, for our website. And it, it really, I think, opens a lot of eyes. And and, and I, I think especially in, in a case this year uh, with Andrew Harris, let's say, in Winnipeg, they got to see how that played out, our signing of him from our eyes from inside the room. Um, I think that's the kind of stuff that that is imperative that the cfl does for its fan base and i know in toronto we're really cognizant of that and you know i'm i'm ex- exceptionally grateful for the access that i get on those two days specifically
1: and and i uh, i really like you for a number of reasons but because of your passion for the league and your uh, your boots on the ground kind of guy so i really appreciate that um andrew harris does that even make it on – like you tried, you just mentioned it there. Does it make it on the radar in Toronto? How do we make it more on the radar? How do we get this thing turned around in Toronto? Because you got a great stadium. I always hear this, and I've never been to it. Is it hard to get to? Like People say it's hard to get to. I, I, there's a lot of excuses. It's, there are a lot of excuses. I mean, it's, if, if there was a Leafs game on a
3: Wednesday night, people would find a way to get downtown right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was a Raptor, or if you're a Raptor fan, if there's a Raptor game in the midnight, you'll find a, or a midnight, midweek game, you'll find a way to get down. And I think people just use that as another excuse. Um, for people who live either east of the city or west of the city, it's really easy. I take public transit down. It's it's called a GO train. Uh, it's, it's public transit, rail service. And I, I live about an hour drive away, and it takes me about an hour to get down there on the train, and it stops literally about a 45-second walk from the main gate at BMO Field. Um, so there's no excuse that way. Sometimes on a weeknight, if you live north of the city, it can be tough because you've got to take a train and then get a, a transfer to another line. But, you know, I just heard from a guy this week who lives in Kingston, Ontario, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive east of Toronto. He just bought Seasons this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they came to about three or four games last year and loved it. And that's a five-hour commitment minimum in the car. Uh, to get to a game, and he's willing to do that eight or nine times a year. So, wow, that's the kind of commitment we have from outside. The, the, there's an old beer commercial that say, "Those who like it like it a lot," and that's that's kind of where we are right now on our base. Yeah, uh, with Toronto, we, the, the the fans that love it really love it. It's it's as passionate with our base as Ryder fans are. We just need more of them, mm-hmm. uh, and that's been the problem. As as for Andrew Harris, you know, uh, the next uh, two days, I guess, after we signed him. Uh, he was appearing on one of the breakfast television shows, uh, the breakfast television show here in Toronto, uh, which is a non-traditional CFL fan. It's it's owned by Rogers, not by Bell. Mm -hmm. And they had him on. Uh, It was fantastic. And they reached out to us. And that's the kind of thing that it's going to take to to expose a guy like Andrew Harris, big personality, you know, good-looking guy. Let's get this guy on television as much as possible. And we have a lot of guys like that who have fantastic stories and, for whatever reason in this market, uh, unlike you folks uh, in, in Regina and Saskatoon, where, where it's such a passion,
4: mm-hmm.
3: we're down on the depth chart right now at least in Raptors, and the Blue Jays make a big splash today, and that, if we had have done something today, it really would have been knocked off the front page. So yeah. that's what we're battling here, and it's not easy, and we've got the behemoth of the NFL an hour and a half down the road in Buffalo. So it's it, it's not easy, but, you know... I'll be damned if we don't try our hardest. No, and I, you know, we've we've got another season. Take a push underway, and uh, I expect we had a few hundred in today. So we're 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 we're, we're, we're pushing the stone uphill. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of us pushing.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned Regina and Saskatoon. We touched on this a long time ago when I had you on. You just kind of cracked the roster. Josh Haggerty. I don't think anybody yeah. – I know I I love Josh Haggerty. know his dad played with him on the Rams, uh, uh, Jeff Haggerty. But Josh – I did a Top 50 Can West show polling coaches and media anonymously, and he was in the Top 50, but he was towards the bottom, and then he goes out and makes the Argos. What a great story. That was a nice surprise from 2021. Oh, nobody saw this
3: happening last year. Um, We drafted him, fully expecting him to go back to school, Um, you know, especially since it was kind of a double class and a big draft, and uh, we thought, you know, we affectionately call him Swaggerty here, and, you know, (laughs) we didn't think there was a hope That Flaggerty was going to get onto the roster this year. We we had him penned in to go back and play Can West for another year, and we'll be damned. He looks so good and so smart. Like he's such a smart football player and in position. And you know, uh, if you would make a mistake, you wouldn't make it again. Um, He's a sponge, and he made the team in training camp. And you know, uh, a lot of people think training camp doesn't mean anything. Well, that's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a guy that. You know, you're right. I don't. I, I didn't see. I don't know anybody in our organization who thought he was going to make it. Yeah, you know, we were hoping that this would be his first camp and he would make it this year. Mm-hmm. It's not like we were writing him off long term, but we were kind of saying, "Oh, yeah, no, he's going to make team this year," and he did. Uh, and I love stories like that. And he's such a good guy. And you know, he's he's one of the the, the players that you pull for. We got so many of those stories, and every team has those stories. Um, but but in our case, we're really happy to have Swaggerty back. Yeah, in the I love. And
4: I love the nickname. You know,
3: he's, he showed versatility, and you know, um, uh, we brought in Mechie from Calgary via free agency. and I think that's a really good one-two punch at safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a Canadian position now. It looks like, and uh, with two guys who are young and good and likable and check every box you want. So. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to make our team again this year and, and should have a... I'd be stunned if he's not on the game roster every day.
1: We're up against the clock, but i got to slide one... Uh, two more quick questions in for you. One's lighthearted. This one, uh, I see a story on Three Down Nation. CFL's new equity partner, Genius Sports making real push towards four downs. Don't know if it's true. Don't know if it's, you know, true or false, but I want to ask you how, do you, how would you feel about this league going to four downs? I personally don't think it needs to go to four downs. How do you feel?
3: I'm a traditionalist that way. I, uh, name me one I love No, don't get me wrong. I love the NFL. I love it. I also love the CFL. But give me one rule, one rule in the NFL that's more fan-friendly than the CFL. Whether it be returning kicks, whether it be the size of the end zone, the size of the field, the extra player, the motion, uh, the lack of fair catch, returnable missed field goals, all of that stuff is very fan-friendly. I don't know why we have to mess with a good thing. I think we just maybe have to think of the way that we try to brand it in this country that, uh, you know, it is different and viva la difference. I I love the fact that I can watch an NFL game and a CFL game, enjoy both equally, and they're totally different strategies.
1: Mm -hmm. 100%, man. I love that. Yeah, so, I know, I agree. on, I
3: bring on both games. I, I I like the way our game
1: is set up, and I like the Canadian. We talked jo- Josh Haggerty and Mechie. I like the I like the fact that the Canadian ratio comes into the strategy, kind of like the old National League American League in baseball. They've gone universal DH, but I like kind of how it was a bit of a different game. Now, lastly, March okay. March Madness is here. We're not. I'm not going to ask you who's going to win March Madness, but I'm coming up with a tournament of awesome. 64 things, money lost the friends yesterday. So friends beat out money. Today's <laughs> t- today today's <laughs> some people are like some people are like pe- friends with money. Uh that's it. Rich friends. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Okay, so Hoagie, here's this one. Golf. Okay. Against snowboarding or skiing. What's moving on to the next round? Watching or participating? Participating.
3: Uh I've uh, look, I have i have skied twice in my life. The first day I thought, "Hey, this is pretty easy." Uh, The second time I was in the FBSD nursing some really good Irish whiskey about an hour after I started. So I will go
1: with golf. Okay. Okay. That's good. We're uh, in a a tie now with that vote. Mike, thanks for this. I appreciate it. And uh, one of Mike's bosses, Mike Pinball Clemens, will join us in April. He's coming to uh, help out the Regina Rams raise some funds for their 53rd annual sportsman's dinner. But uh, thank you, Mike, for your hard work in Toronto pushing that stone uphill. We need more guys like you in the league. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Anytime, pal. You know that. Yeah, that's my buddy Mike Hogan from the Toronto Argonauts and the Western Pizza Hotline. We'll head right back on that hotline. Coming up when we talk to the voice of the Regina Pats, Dante DiCaria, on the other side. This is the Sports Cage on six twenty CKRM.
0: Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Roughriders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the mighty six twenty CKRM. <laughs>
1: And thank you for having the sports cage on. Ballsy in the chair on the other side of the glass. Filling in is our buddy The Lounge. Colin Lovequist, a staple around here for many, many years. And I thank him for sitting in the chair and helping orchestrate the show. And he is smiling like a butcher's dog today because the Toronto Blue Jays, his favorite team, have acquired an all-star third baseman from the Oakland Athletics. They got uh, Chapman. Matt Chapman for four prospects. He was an All-Star so they're pretty happy about that in Toronto and yes Colin Lovequist very happy about that. Kyle Schwarber leaving the Red Sox for the Phillies. Four years, 79 million bucks in the NHL. We got a light night. Four games. Bruins at the Wild. Bruins going for their fourth straight road win. Devils at the Flames. Calgary one of the hottest teams since the All-Star break. 13-3-1 since the All-Star break and um, uh, Tampa at the Kraken and the Jackets at the Sens, of course. Cole Sillinger of Regina in his last outing for Columbus had three goals in that big victory over the Vegas Golden Knights who have been struggling. Let's head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. First off, I want to tell you this show is brought to you by spreads.ca, uh, one of our new sponsors. And uh, Hey, you... Um, don't want to gamble on finding an excellent online betting site. Spreads.ca is Canada's premier online betting destination. I won a cool 50 bucks betting on my Oilers last night, so I was pretty happy and a couple of other teams. On the phone is Dante carry a voice of the Regina Pats. Dante, 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 you're down 2 nothing. You're up 4-2. How do you lose to the free space on the bingo card, the Medicine Hat Tigers?
5: Well, I mean, I was just listening to your intro right here, and the first thing that's going through my mind is baseball right now. You were talking about Matt Chapman and stuff like that. So I don't know. I don't think I'm even thinking about hockey. No jokes aside, to be quite honest with you, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I really do think the Pats took the Medicine Hat Tigers lightly in the third period of play. There's no question about it. I didn't like how they responded after a really good second period. Uh, They were okay in the first, but really were, were not playing their game in the third period. I do believe they did their, their best to not give up that tying goal with four seconds to go, but it's just one that, you know, it kind of looked from watching the replay that Drew Sim thought maybe the clock had expired and wasn't really facing towards the puck. He wasn't in a ready position, and then all of a sudden it's through his legs. So um, some bad luck for the Regina Pats. In the last month, they've game up the tying goal or the game-winning goal in the final, I don't know, 40 seconds of the game four times in the last month. Uh, it's about learning to win for this group, but at least they got a point that's a positive, but they definitely should have had two points. That was just gutting, just so hard to take in.
1: Yeah, so what's the mood of the team like? A back-to-back one? Is it great that they're getting back on the ice, or do you think they could use some time away?
5: No, I think it's great that they're getting back on the ice tonight because this is a must-win game. They've got five more games, if you count tonight, against opponents that they're battling with in the standing. They've got four more, two split between Prince Albert and Swift Current, so those are huge games coming up, but... This one is massive. I mean, I'd say Lethbridge and Regina play similar style of hockey. They are, they're fast, they're physical, they get chippy. So it's going to be an exciting game tonight. I do think it's, it's a good opportunity to kind of wipe the to, – to clean the slate from last night because um, I'd rather not dwell on it for so, several days going into the next game. I'd rather just get back at it the next day, and I think that's the mentality that this group has.
1: Boy, the uh, this Bedard kid, we talk about him, but what it was his uh, 50th career goal in the 63rd career game, and he's on an 18-game point-scoring streak. He is he is pulling the rope. He needs other guys. Uh, he's getting some help, but he needs everybody to pull with him. That kid is on fire right now.
5: Well, I mean, Tanner Howell also has 14 yes. uh, points in 14 of his last 15 games, and I think Tanner's been playing some really ho- good hockey as well. I mean, Connor, 76 points this season. He's now tied for second in goals with 38 among Western Hockey League leaders, and he's only 16. There's not a single you know high school-level player or a, you know 16- or 17-year-old within his range in terms of goals. That's just how prolific he has been this season. And if you got a nice little sidekick piece right there in Tanner Howe, I've been calling them Batman and Robin for the last several months. Howe's got, what is it, 56 points in 50 games? That's ridiculous as well. So, no, they've both been a treat to watch this year. Um, I don't like singling out just one or the other. I think that collectively they've been absolutely dominant for the Regina Pats since being put on a line together. So I don't like to always just talk about Bedard or Howe or one or the other. I kind of just kind mm-hmm. of clump them together, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and they're two, uh, two dynamite dynamite players. So if the Pats are going to win tonight against the Lethbridge Hurricanes, what's the key in your eyes?
5: Well, to be quite honest with you, I think they need good goaltending. I mean, the last three games, they've given up less than 25 shots against in three of those games, which is a good thing, and they've given up less than 30 shots in you know, four of the last five games coming in, and they're eighth in average shots against per game at just around 30 on average throughout the whole season. They're not a team that gives up a ton of chances. They're well-coached. They have good structure. They seem to stick to their game plan, but it seems like when they don't, they kind of fall apart, and it... And it's never been, you know what, Michael? Like, I don't think I've seen the Pats play like a terrible game from start to finish where they just look awful from the first period to the end of the third. It seems to be these short 10 to 12, 13 minute lapses where they just don't play Regina Pats style hockey. And it, and it goes back to hurt them. Goals that they score are in clumps and goals that they give against are in bunches as well. And that there needs to be, you know, kind of a recipe for some consistency down the stretch. And the Pats need to be consistent tonight. They can't get too cute. They need to shoot the puck a little bit more. I know they had a lot of shots last night in Medicine Hat, but they need to get more tra- traffic and pucks to the net, especially against a goaltender in Thompson, who's fairly big and has had the past number in, in his career.
1: Sports cage tournament of awesome, Dante DiCaria. Do you pick golf or snowboarding slash skiing?
5: Well, I don't do any of those sports, to be quite honest with you. Um, I don't know. I've never snowboarded and never skied, never been one of those guys, but I don't like golf either, so... But my brother golfes. Golf, he had a scholarship for golf in the U.S., so I'll go with that.
1: Okay, where did he golf?
5: Uh, he went to a D2 school in Mobile, Alabama, and now he's uh, currently transferred over to uh, Old Miss.
1: Nice! That's a good little uh, nugget we didn't know. One, one other nugget here, so we'll put you down for golf. Uh, one other nugget, do you have uh, and road bow ties? Like, do we have special road bow ties here, Dante?
5: I think I've got six in my collection so far, although my mom's going to be coming down to Regina in April, mm-hmm. and hopefully she'll be bringing some with her because she brought me two the last time in, uh, in the month of October when she came around my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a road in home. I usually bring about two of me on a road trip, depending. So um, I'm kind of a little superstitious. We lost last night, so I decided to change.
1: What color is it?
5: Uh, honestly, like i, I got to change it up. You're right, Michael. Thanks for calling me. I've I've only got blue ones. Oh
1: come on, man! You're a man of style. I know. That's boring, Dante. Boring. Anyway, uh, you you dress better than me, so I'm not going to bust your grapes on that. Hey, buddy, I appreciate this. We're going to listen to your call tonight. The pregame show, 6:35, I believe. Play by play, seven. Is that right?
5: Yeah, that's right. And by the way, I just want to say I'm really happy about the Matt Chapman trade. Uh, I broadcasted Kevin Smith uh, in the minor leagues a couple years ago. And I'm excited to see him get an opportunity to play with the Oakland Athletics.
1: Awesome. Yeah, he's one of the four prospects going to the Bay Area. Thanks for this, Dante. Have a great call tonight in Lethbridge. Thank you, Michael. When we come back, we'll hear from the color commentator of the Edmonton Oilers, Bob Stoffer, a regular on the show now. This is the Sports Cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
0: The Sports Cage is your locker room pass. We're talking Riders on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM.
2: Certainly was not a Picasso. Uh, you got to find ways to win ugly some nights in the NHL uh, when, when you don't have everything going. And, I mean, Edmonton played about as well as they could have against Tampa Bay on Saturday night. Uh, and... The one thing we have seen under Jay Woodcroft, Mike, is they're getting lots of shots, and that's what he did in the farm. You know, they sort of averaged between 16.5 and 17.5 shots in the first period um, down in the American Hockey League. And we're seeing that kind of transition to the NHL, and And I, I'm happy to see it. I mean, the owners are better five-on-five. Five. Uh, they had 20 shots against... Washington and Ilyas Samsonov wanted to redeem himself because the previous time Edmonton played him, he gave up three on four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he played great, right? Stopped all 20 in the first period against Washington. The Oilers ultimately won 4-3 in overtime. And then against Tampa, they had 19 shots on Brian Elliott in the first period. And, you know, they got one past him on a brilliant individual effort by Connor McDavid. Uh, but, you, you know, and then they get 17 against Detroit. Well, Detroit defensively is is not Washington or Tampa Bay, and the others capitalized. it built up the four one lead, so I like that. But they kind of they kind of went to sleep against a team that can skate, that's got a little bit of skill. And Detroit worked themselves back into the game. Full credit for them. A lot of other teams in that situation that aren't playing for anything, you know, they might have pulled the the you know just cashed their chips in and said that's it, we're done. But Detroit battled, and and Edmonton ultimately come crunch time when the game was tied at five after a and giveaway the Oilers were the team that was better in the final six minutes that's why they won the game so you'll take it
1: yeah wins a win yeah for sure absolutely a win's a win and I think Craig McTavish always says we don't critique wins around here so I I I always like that terminology you said something on the broadcast last night that I found very interesting I I jotted it down as quick as I could um oh no 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 it was really good you said Players don't care what you know, they just know that you care. I think that's how you said it. And I really feel, and no disrespect to Dave Tippett, you even said this on the broadcast last night, Dave Tippett, good Saskatchewan guy, you don't have a winning percentage in the NHL by falling off the turnip truck like he does, okay? But it just feels like the change of voice, maybe a little more communication, and these Oilers are buying into it. Am I right? Well, I, the exact
2: line—it's actually Jack Michaels. Uh, years ago, we talked about this. Uh, when it comes to coaching, they don't—they uh, don't care what you know. They want to know that you care. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, they, the, the, the player wants to know that the, this generation of players wants to know that the coach cares about them. They don't care about your technical brilliance as a coach, and there, you know, there's a 15, sixteen sixteen-year age difference between Jay Woodcroft. And Dave Tippett. And the reality of the situation is, Dave has been in the. You know, Dave. Dave came in uh, in the you know summer of 2019. He did a vastly improved their power play and their PK. The five on five play to me was partially a reflection of on, on the team not having enough enough depth. But Jay Woodcroft has been with the Oilers organization since 2015. He coached some of these guys as an associate coach uh, in the NHL, and then he coached a bunch of them in the minors. So he has history and belief, and he helped some of those guys in the minors get to the NHL, and he gave them opportunity. Ryan McLeod a prime example. Like that was a that was a that was going to be a that was a big uh, swing by the Oilers scouting staff in 2018. Keith Kratsky was running the staff, and a lot of people were like, "We're not touching McLeod; he's too inconsistent of a player in juniors." Well, you know what? Part of the reason why he's in Edmonton is because Jay Wincroft helped coach him up to get him here, and now Jay's his head coach. So. I, you know, communication is critical for this generation of players. I know you have kids. It's a, it's a, just simply a different time. Like, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, and even in Phantoms if you had told me to to run a guy, I'd go run that guy. You know, that's just the way we were. And nobody really second-guessed the coach ever. Well, today, you know what? Mm-hmm. Players ask questions, but players want to know that their coach is there to support them and believe in them. It's part of the relationship. And um, everybody, you know, it's funny. I came out of the U of A, Michael, and Claire Drake was 50 years ahead of his time. You know, like he, yeah. he was such a good coach. In 1967, he took over the Golden Bears football program for two years because they didn't have a coach. And in 1967, he led the Golden Bears football team to the Vanier Cup, and they won. That was in the fall. And then in the spring of 1958, he led the Golden Bears hockey team wow. to a university cup yeah. championship. I tell American guys that story and they're just like your guy coached football and hockey in the same calendar year in one in both sports. I'm like, yeah, because he can get the most out of people. And the way you get the most out of people is by from the beginning of the relationship, by treating people with respect and dignity. And when you do that, when you when people know that you're you're supporting them and you're believing in them, they're going to play harder than ever for for you because they know how rare it is that that's the nature of of how you foster belief in today's player. And so Claire Claire was doing that in the 60s, man. And uh, J. Woodcroft has got a very good feel for this group
6: right
1: now. All right. So we have talked about this before. I heard you talk about it on the broadcast yesterday. There really isn't a deal, I think, that really uh, Ken Holland's doing jumping jacks over for a goalie. But my thing is this. As an Oilers fan, we want to see them get to maybe the second round, who knows the third round. I don't know if that's realistic with their goaltending situation. I just hope we get Koskinen, good Koskinen for four games so we can win a series. That's how I feel as a as a guy watching this team.
2: You know, my theory on this is improve the defense a bit, maybe go out and get a third pairing left-shot D that's tough and can PK a little bit, and it's difficult to play against, and clear out the frontal on that and stop cycles. And maybe you limit the amount of time that you spend in your D-zone. I don't know if Koskinen can win four games in six days in the playoffs. You might have to play Mike Smith in one of those starts. That's just the nature of the position that Edmonton's in. So, And I got news for you. I don't know if Robin Lehner can go win you a series either. Right now, the health condition, he's in in Vegas. Jacob Marks, who Edmonton was in on, he can win it. but. I think the Oilers real like they got to get Smith up and running. That's why he's starting tomorrow against Buffalo. They got to get some positive energy going with him. And uh, Smith didn't cost him the series against Winnipeg last year. No. Connor Hellebuck put up a 950, you know. But then Winnipeg ran into Carey Price. It was like 930 against them when Hellebuck was in the 800. So, um, you know, I think Edmonton's going to make the playoffs. They're going to come in either second or third in the Pacific Division. And they may need to rely on both goaltenders during the playoffs here. So let's not forget, when Carolina won the Cup in 06, uh, it was Martin Gerber and Cam Ward through the first couple rounds before it ended up becoming Cam Ward. He ended up winning the con smith that year. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Yeah, uh, Bob Stoffer from the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network are joining us here and has his own popular radio show in Edmonton over the noon hour. Okay, so, Bob, um, I look at the stats, though, and, and you talk about it. Uh, Jay has a history with some of these guys. But other guys too. Better, better five-on-five five play. That's what's really, uh, you know, leading to the success, especially against some of the great teams. Even that loss against Calgary, like you said, they had seven regulars out of the lineup, and probably would have won that game if they didn't have a, you know, a, an uncharacteristically bad power play that game.
2: Well, in, in fairness, their special teams were off the charts through the first 21 games. You know, they were plus 19 in goals differential uh, between, uh, you know, Edmonton special teams and the opposition special teams through the first 21 games. It's ridiculous. Their power play was almost at 40%. They started the year 16 and 5. Since then, they're minus
4: 19.
2: Wow. It's un, so, but where they've dramatically improved is their five on five play. It's way better. They're actually minus seven or minus eight in special teams only because the power play is, is, is not clicking on all cylinders. I get, you know what, it's it's 3-for-14 over the last three games, but when that power play's cooking, it's 6-for-14.
1: So, 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 Bob, why is that? Like, why is that? Are they listening to this guy more, the coaching staff No, no, more? No, no, no. So, 5-on-5, so five
2: five, there is a real emphasis on having the forwards backtrack and support the play defensively and take away time and space on opposition players the Oilers at the time that Dave Tippett and Jim Playfair, and it was a tandem, at the time that they were relieved, Edmonton was giving up the most odd man breaks in the league, uh, per game. And they've, so they've really done a much better job in ensuring that they're limiting the opposition opportunities off the rush. And part of the reason they do that, how they've done that is through, uh, you know, backtracking and backside support. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why they're better five on five. Um, Tippett had terrific special teams. Like the orders were ninth in the power play and thirtieth in the PK in in uh, eighteen nineteen before Tippett got here. In nineteen twenty, the orders were first in the power play and second on PK. Don't forget Leon um, Drysital and Connor McDavid were minus players in nineteen twenty in the regular season. Edmonton finished second in the Pacific that year. So a lot of people credit. Well, how can you give a you know how can you give in the MVP when he's a minus player? Well, the last two years tri settles plus forty five. So there there were signs that they were going to be better five on five. They're going to be better once Nugent Hot like Poliarvey's back tomorrow. But when Nugent Hopkins but comes back and plays third line center with the addition now of Banner Kane on the left side, they're gonna have they're gonna have a good five on five team. They just got it and they miss Nugent Hopkins on the power play and they miss him on the PK. He touches every aspect of the game. He's uh he, he's kind of the, the the point guard on the power play from that left-side hash, right? Like, he's kind of a puck distributor. Uh, and and McDavid and Drysettle are more of the shooters in the one-three-one formation. Yamamoto's done a good job as a net front, by the way. He's got a couple of yeah. power play goals. since going there. And Nugent Hopkins is on the first penalty killing unit with Zach Hyman. So they've missed him. Their penalty killing's a concern. They've got to find a way to improve that. That's been uh, precipitously dropping now for three months.
1: Bob Stoffer from the Edmonton Oilers Radio Network joining us for a couple more minutes. So you mentioned getting a, a third-line uh, defenseman. Um, like, with the Oilers, are, do they have interest in Sherratt? Do you think that's too much to pay to bring him in, or who would you be looking at? What kind of player? Well,
2: what if you could find a guy who's on the precipice of being Sherratt that's not going to cost you a first- or second-round pick? Uh, you know, I, I like... I, I'm led to believe Montreal's insistent on getting a first-rounder for Sherratt. You know, I don't see the Oilers doing that. There's a guy uh, that plays for San Jose by the name of Jacob Middleton. He's a third-pairing left shot. He can fight. Um, now, I hear San Jose wants a lot for him, but we'll see what ends up happening as we get closer to the deadline. It is a buyer's market. You know, there's eight sellers alone in the Eastern Conference. There's probably four sellers in the West. Obviously, Arizona and Seattle are selling – Uh, That's a given Anaheim's going to end up selling. They've already traded Josh Manson. So for sure, you know, there's a – and not all the teams are going to sit there. And I don't see Edmonton giving up their number one, but I I see Edmonton adding, in a perfect world, a physical uh, left-shot defenseman, again, that can stop cycles, that can kill penalties, and has got a little bit of bite. And then there's the Archibald factor. Archibald's a very good player, but he can only play in Canada under the current rules. Because in Canada, you can't fly if you're not vaccinated, and he is unvaccinated. So I wonder whether or not they can flip Archibald for a similar type of forward from, from an American team that's maybe, you know, cashed their chips in uh, that Archibald can go play all the games down in the States with. Because you can fly all over the place in the states if you're unvaccinated, yeah, yeah. and they don't they don't check right. Whereas in Canada, we check, and then they turn around and get a you know a vaccine. There's only two unvaccinated players in the league: Josh Archibald and Tyler Bertuzzi. So I wonder whether or not that ultimately becomes part of the equation as well.
1: What a ridiculous facade! That's a story for another. That's a story for another time, man. Like I. I <laughs> Just makes you shake your I head. I hear you. Okay, but lastly, Bob, lastly, how does that play? Like, I, I'm on the outside looking in. I'm an Oiler fan, but I, in the media. But I see Connor and I see Leon. And, yeah, they bear some of the blame, too, because they're the leaders of the team. But suppose Holland doesn't get much done at this deadline and they don't do much and it's perceived as another wasted year. How does it play with those two guys? You didn't do enough. You talk about the coach caring about you, but what about the GM not maybe well, a- doing
2: Except they've made the biggest impact of anybody, and they didn't give up an asset to get the player. Yeah,
1: I know what you're saying, Evander Kane. Yeah, Evander Kane, who's
2: who's brought in a more impactful player during the. You know, I guess you could argue Tyler Toffoli, but the Calgary Flames gave up a number one to get him. Evander Kane was a freebie. Edmonton took the swing, and he's got ten goals and seventeen points in twenty-one games, and he's plus ten. Like, and it didn't cost them. All it cost him was cap space. It didn't cost them a single asset. So, I mean, Calgary gave up a number one to get to Foley. Now they got to Foley for two more years in the deal, but that doesn't prohibit Edmonton from turning around and signing Kane to an extension for a year or two. So that, that would be my argument at forward. I, look, if it's up to if I was running, hey, if I'm GM, I'd probably like to add a little bit of muscle up front. I provided you the scenario with Archibald yeah, yeah. and and get they're I'm going to tell you right now they're going to get a defenseman. Ken Holland strongly indicated that on our show today that his priority probably will be on defense. You can never have enough defense, but they just sent Broberg down all minors they're going to activate Chris Russell. They still have William Laguson. I can see the team looking to upgrade on that spot. That's going to be uh, that's a slam dunk that's getting done. So and then, in terms of the forward, we'll see what happens if they turn around and they flip Archibald for a similar type of player, maybe a left shot, because they got you know they got Cassian and Archibald, they're both right shots playing on the fourth line. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, Bob, we're gonna have some fun here. The last question: I have a tournament of awesome going. I picked sixty-four awesome things because uh, you know with March Madness going on, and uh, in the sure. bra- in the bracket today, it's golf versus snowboarding and skiing. You got to pick which moves on to the next round. What are you picking?
2: Oh man, I—I I guess skiing.
1: Okay, you're going skiing. Okay, are you not a golf? I, are you not I, a golf I, guy?
2: I am not a golf guy. Uh, I only do like two tournaments a year. I—I I, I end up emceeing more than that, but yeah. I only do about two tournaments a year. You know, I've been doing an afternoon or, a, you know, now a, a noon show, but for years an afternoon drive show. So I never had time to golf. Like it's just the way it worked. And uh, you know what, skiing to me. The few times I have skied, I really enjoy it. So I'm going to go skiing.
1: I agree with you. I, I'm not much of a skier, but I'm a terrible golfer. I MC more than I play. I knew I liked you for a reason besides the fact you're uh, associated with the Oilers. Thanks for this, Bob. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care, Michael. See you. Some park improvements. one
5: 3276 one 289 3276
0: where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk this is the sports cage on sports radio 620 CKRM
1: and welcome to the sports cage on this Wednesday and it's brought to you by our good friends over there at spreads.ca all of our guests come to you via the western pizza hotline Dinner time. Game time, anytime. A great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. Now, our question of the day, and you can weigh in on the text line 936 6262. In our Tournament of Awesome, the second bracket, golf versus snowboarding or skiing? Which sport should go to the next round? Golf, snowboarding, or skiing? We're in a dead heat right now, and maybe this next guy can weigh in. He is joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline, and he is Henry Burris of the BC Lions. I never thought I'd say that. How are you today, smiling Hank?
7: <laughs> Bossy, what's going on, brother? Great to hear your voice, man. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice
1: too. So, uh, uh, Burris in the uh, in the Tournament of Awesome here on the Sports Cage. Do you pick golf or snowboarding and skiing to go on to the next round?
7: Well, for me, I'm all about the warm weather, and honestly, with how hard everybody works on a daily basis, a little bit of relaxation and Mother Nature never, never goes bad. And, of course, a little original 16 and, uh, over a round of golf, yeah. you can't beat it. So golf is definitely my answer.
1: There you go, man. Okay, uh, Henry, who do you got in the actual tournament? I picked Tennessee because I like orange and they're going against Gonzaga because I did a Pats game in Spokane once, and I, Gonzaga's from there, so I'm going Gonzaga versus Tennessee. Tennessee to win the whole thing.
7: Wow. I'm actually taking the Arizona Wildcats because I believe that they've been one of the most consistent teams and just the talent that they have on, on as far as in every aspect, and they're deep with players coming off the bench. I definitely have them picked to win it all, and, and yeah, Gonzaga, they're going to be in there as well. Gonzaga's definitely uh, a, a team that has always piqued everybody's interest and I think they're becoming the new Duke because each and every year they've got some of the top players being drafted into the NBA season now.
1: So you're an offensive consultant with the BC Lions. My first question is why?
7: (laughs) Well well, number one over the past couple of seasons while I was here with the Chicago Bears uh, I pretty much was in an assistant role doing all the quality control which is preparing all the coaches you know for their their daily installs, you know, based on what this, you know, special circumstance or situation is. So I prepared all the materials for the playbooks, for all the PowerPoint presentations and so on and so forth. But again, as you heard what I said, I, I was in the, in the old line room, helping them out, supporting them. I was in the tight end room this past year, but of course, everybody knows my passion is to work with quarterbacks and, and to have the opportunity just to do that and, and to continue to grow and, And learn from some of the best in the business i mean when it comes to my mind one of the guys who made a huge impression on me especially down the stretch of my career but just how he was so consistent throughout the entire time that i've known him it was rick campbell and so to have an opportunity to continue to learn under rick and all the great things that he's done in his career and the things that he's trying you know that he's continuing to do in in vancouver for him to give me this opportunity to get in the quarterback room to understand the day-to-day to start learning on a, on a, on a, on a, casual basis, well not on a more casual basis, but more on a basis to work with some good young quarterbacks. I mean, guys with huge potential, I mean, I, I have all this useless knowledge that I have. I need to share it with somebody and, and, uh, but for me, I have a passion of helping out the next generation so they can go out there and live their dreams out and work alongside of them and see it all come, come to fruition. And I'm just excited. I get this opportunity. Just to do just that.
1: This is Henry Burris of the uh, British Columbia Lions, an offensive consultant, offensive assistant. Okay, and I get that, and I love the fact you're back here. The league is better for having Henry Burris back for so many reasons. But Henry, you're an American. You're in the pinnacle of football, and I love the CFL, but let's be honest everybody wants to get to the NFL. You're in the NFL. Any thoughts of like, oh, like if I, you know, if I go back to the CFL, will I ever have a chance to come back to the NFL? Did that ever enter your mind?
7: No, no, it didn't because, number one, you know, as far as the NFL, it's all about relationships. I mean, the turnover is occurring at a high rate down here, down south right now. And I think this past year, there were 16, court, half of the offensive coordinators changed this past year. And it just shows you the rate of change that's occurring in this game. And to me, it's bad for the game. You know, and I've asked people questions about the development of quarterbacks. You know, where is that at? I mean, right now, if you look at the quarterbacking around the NFL, I mean, name one team with back backup that they feel they can win a championship with. And mm-hmm. right now it comes from a development standpoint where I feel that part needs to, to step up and become much better. And I feel like I'm, I'm part of that, you know, that pool of guys who who can make that happen. And, and uh, But the thing is, I know I'm young. You know, I trust the process. I want to be the best that I can be when that opportunity finally does come. And the only way I can get better is by getting that experience, by being in the room, working with a number of young men and helping them be the best that they can be because again this game has done so much for me and now it's my time to give back and i'm super humble and thankful just to have this opportunity
1: you were quoted as saying you see a lot of uh, nathan rourke or justin fields and nathan rourke uh, what do you like about nathan's game or what do you think you'll like about his game
7: well i love the fact that when it comes to every aspect of executing in the game this kid has to the potential to make just that happen. I mean, he's he's very efficient from the pocket. You know, he's a very smart kid, and I could tell that just from our first conversation that we had on Zoom the other day. But also to see his competitive nature, and to me, mentally, he's he's beyond his years. Yes, of course, he's young, just coming off his first year, getting time probably much sooner than a lot of people thought, especially with the injury to Mike Riley. But things like that happen, in, in, in you know, as far as in the game of football, but he stepped up took command. And you hear nothing but great things from from the teammates that he played along with with the Lions. And now it's time for him to continue to learn from the mistakes that he made, continue to build off the successes. And I know he's just one of those types of guys where he's very humble but also a hard worker. But to me, the number one ingredient that he has is this kid wants to be great. I mean, he has a a fire about himself. When you hear him talking, there's so much conviction as far as in what he does. And for me to have an opportunity to – to witness that firsthand and to have a front row seat and to to be of service for him in whatever way he needs me to help him out and however he needs me to help him out that's what I'm there for because this is his journey and I want to see him maximize his potential and enjoy the best experience possibly that he can.
1: Henry, what was the uh, in early in your career? What was the best piece of advice you received? Who gave it to you?
7: Man, early in my career, I think it probably had to come from more of my... I mean, there's a couple of guys that I that I could put in there, because of course, my father always gave me great advice, but I think Wally Bono summed it up pretty much the best. You know, in his mind, he always said that nobody's going to feel sorry for you in this game, and the thing is, you got to go out there and earn your keep. And again, I learned just that throughout my entire career, because you know, regardless of the things that I did, there was a the good Hank, bad Hank out there, but I always remember the things that Wally told me, and, and as far as going out there and not depending on people. The only person that you can depend on is the man in the mirror. And the thing is, he always told me as a rookie, come in and earn your keep by the way you perform and the way you work. And I maintained as far as that within, I guess, my psyche or mentality whenever I approached the game because, for me, it wasn't all about the talk. It was about the way you walk and the the way you prepared on a daily basis, the way you showed up to practice. The way you came in with the energy that could be infectious to you know, make everybody get on board and work just as hard as you did, you wanted to push the pile and make everybody follow or try to keep up with you. And so those things now are carrying over to the coaching world for me. I've had a lot of great advice from a number of coaches, but it still all applies to the same lessons that I learned as a young football player now being a young, young coach. It's been about
1: 50 plus years since we've had a Canadian star as a quarterback in this league. There've been a couple of guys that have sniffed around, you know, the Julio Caravadas, who's the color commentator there in BC. You know him well. Uh, You know, there's uh, Andrew Buckley. Um, Now I know to a guy like you, it doesn't matter. You don't look at the birth certificate. You're just looking at the talent. For a Canadian like me, I think it's a cool story. It does matter to me. That's got to be kind of uh, interesting for you, too. That's kind of a nice little... You know, wouldn't it be nice to groom a Canadian star? Because I told your owner last week when he was on our show, um, Amar Doman, that's a recipe for printing money, man. If we could ever have a star quarterback that's Canadian, what that wouldn't do for the game.
7: 100%, because... And for me, I look at all the other young Canadian quarterbacks that are out there. I mean, to see one of your own do it shows you exactly the things that you need to do as far as to achieve the same success. I mean, for me, I've always been taught it's hard to see success when you never witnessed it. And for a lot of young Canadian kids, a lot is riding on on Nate. But the thing is, for Nate, he just needs to focus in on himself right now and take the right path that all other young quarterbacks, regardless of where they're from, They've had to take it to sit back and learn from some of the greats. And, again, he had Mike Riley there at his disposal to ask questions to every day. And even when Mike had that injury, you know, again, that probably led to him stepping away from the game and retiring. But he had a great mentor to lean on and, and to provide him with a lot of great knowledge. So he's had all the right upbringings and all the right characteristics to help develop a successful quarterback now that we're going to continue to develop him here in the year two. But to me, it's utter important just for, to see a, a number of young men out there who get a chance to see one of their own has success. They get to see him grow from the aches and the pains of year one and now to understand hmm. the things that went right and the things that went wrong and to make the strides in year two. To me, it's so important for the for the history and the future of this game for young men to see another Canadian have success, which is really going to open up eyes and really get a lot of young men excited from coast to coast oh, okay. to Nathan Work's footsteps.
1: You know, you, you you touched on it right there. The 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 growing pains. It's going to take patience, Henry. We know this isn't a patient business. You're in a win now. You guys want to get some excitement going there. And I I talked, this could be a great angle for excitement. But is there patience there, do you feel, to go through the growing pains with this guy? Because it's not like he's going to walk in and be a star. There's going to be some ups and downs. Henry, I remember Henry Burris in 2000. I remember one game vividly. It was like a roller coaster. I think it ended 52-52. It was tied with Calgary. It was hot. It was unbelievable here. It was up and down, Roller coaster. That's kind of how your early career was. Is there going to be patience to work with a guy like that, with two guys like that? Because you got another Canadian on the roster, too, in Michael O'Connor.
7: Well, the thing is, uh, you know, when I always I always like to use the analogy of desserts because, again, sometimes when you bake your first cake, it may not rise the way you want, and the icing may not taste how you want. But you know the cake's going to taste good when you eventually get it right. So you keep trying over and over again until you get it right, and that cake, cake tastes oh so good. Well, the same thing comes with the fact of, of Nathan Rourke right now, Michael O'Connor, because we know these kids have a world of potential. They have a world of talent. And the thing is, it's not just about them. It's about the teammates that we place around them, the nucleus mm-hmm. that Rick Campbell and the staff has placed around them. They're going to make the job much easier for these young quarterbacks. They're not going to go out there you know, with the mentality where they have to do it all by themselves. Because to me, regardless if you're a 15-year vet or a second-year, or somewhat of a rookie or a sophomore, if you want to call it, To me, that's the recipe for disaster when you try to do everything on your own. So the thing is, we give these guys responsibilities on each and every play of how to execute and go through their progression, and that's what their job is, just to go out there and do that. Now, as a coach, it's our job to provide the necessary reps and volume to make sure that they have this within their DNA. So every time they step on the field, that's all they have to focus on because football is the ultimate team game, and we don't want to put any more pressure on these young quarterbacks than there needs to be because right now, in their mind, they just need to become the best QB they can be, and that's all their team needs to be successful this upcoming season.
1: Okay, uh, two more quick questions for you. How did last year make you uh, you know, the coach you're going to be this year? What, what one thing can you take away with your time in the NFL that you can bring here? Uh, is it organization? Is it working with professional athletes from the other side of the ball instead of being a player? What can you bring?
7: Well, the number one thing is you know understand how to approach your players on a day to day basis, and just being able to see that from some of the best and and longtime professionals in the business, like Juan Castillo, the offensive line former offensive line coach for the Chicago Bears, and Clarence Barone, who was uh, as far as a tight end coach in the NFL, he coached the most All Pros in the business up to date. So to be able to learn from two of the best that worked worked in this game and has ever coached in in this game, to understand just the type of culture they built in their room. And just how everybody looked to get to work, looked forward to being at work every day, and some of the quirks and surprises that he, you know, had prepared for the guys on a daily basis. That's the reason why that room was successful. to the nose is the easy part, but developing the culture and building the trust in your guys is what coaching is all about, and that's what successful coaches are always able to build on a day-to-day, month-to-month, and year-to-year basis. And that's the reason why people are always asking, why does this staff get it right? Well, it's because them and their players work together to seek out a solution and go out there and execute that solution and put it into work. And that's why success always builds when you have rooms like that. And that's definitely what I'm going to take with me from from as far as the most important lesson that I learned over this past couple of seasons.
1: Okay, last one for you. How, how much are you looking forward to coming back to Mosaic Stadium and hearing, Henry! Henry! <laughs>
7: uh, you know, and I always look forward to coming back home. And, and uh, the thing is, if, if I'm there, if I'm there in Regina, yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to it always. But the question is, if I'm in the press box, Why are they going to yell my name? I probably won't even hear them because I have headsets on now. But at least I'll have it cranked up so I won't be able to hear But, you know, it'll be fun for the guys to experience it. And, you know, as far as one of the best crowds in all of football, and, I mean, there's nothing like being in Saskatchewan and it's something I always look forward to do coming back home.
1: You know what? I'm glad you call it home, but guess what, buddy? If you are here and you are in the press box, you know they're going to find you with the camera and put you on the big Jumbotron, the Maxtron, and everybody <laughs> will yell. You know what's going to happen. We'll see those pearly whites, that big smile, and I can't wait to see it, man. I'm glad you're back in the league, even though you're with the enemy now, but the BC Lions were always my second favorite team, so I can kind of yeah, cheer for yeah. you until, yeah. until you take on the Jolly Green Giants. Thanks for this smile Hank. Take care, buddy
7: hey ballsy always great to talk to you brother great to catch up
1: yeah it's awesome man and we'll catch up during the season when we come back we got some other sports stories to get uh, get to guess what lounge we're supposed to have jake hardy but i'm pushing him to tomorrow because he's irish and it's st patrick's day tomorrow so we're going with the green theme this is the sports cage for spreads.ca on 620 ckrm
0: It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM.
1: And that was a great conversation with Henry Burris. Glad he's back in the league. This show is brought to you by spreads.ca. You can get a hold of us, 936-6262. It's the line to text, and it's brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln, Saskatchewan's number one Ford dealership. Uh, some other sports going on. And when we talk sports, this segment brought to you by Nick's service in Emerald Park. I drive by it every day. Your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. Miami Dolphins have re-signed Sam McGuavin, the former rider linebacker. It's a deal worth uh, $2 million U.S. Hoping to catch up with him by the end of the week. By the way, 800000 Guaranteed dollars there. Four games in the NHL. They're just taking to the ice. Bruins at the Wild Wild. Bit of a skid right now. 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. Bees looking for their fourth straight road win. Devils at the Flames. Calgary's been one of the hottest teams in the NHL since the All-Star break. In 17 games, they've gone 13-3-1. Tampa at the Kraken. Uh, Lightning, um, have won 38 of their 59 games. The Kraken, 18 of their 61 games. Jackets at the Sens. Columbus needing a win after losing six of their last nine games. The Sens need a win after losing nine of their last 12 games. Just before we get to Farhan Lalji, who's going to join us, uh, we'll take a break, but I want to uh, mention a couple of other things. Jake Paul is putting up $60 million to get Kanye West and Pete Davidson to do a celebrity boxing match. By the way, Pete's going to space with Jeff Bezos. He'll actually get to meet his parents for the first time when he does that. Um, What else can we tell you? Oh, Mike Tyson. This is hilarious. So Mike Tyson has a weed company, and they're now selling edible gummies in the shape of an ear with a bite taken out of it. Obviously, based on the 1997 WBA Heavyweight Championship fight between Tyson and Evander Holyfield, when Holyfield came in with the nickname... The real deal and left with the nickname the full meal deal because Evander took a chunk out of his uh, ear. He, I wonder if Evander gets a bite out of the profits. I'm here all week. Enjoy the veal. And the latest thing white people can't get enough of is pickleball. That's right. It's kind of like mini-tennis mixed with ping-pong. It's played on a smaller version of a tennis court with a shorter net You use paddles and a plastic ball. And now famous people are going to play it for your enjoyment. Stephen Colbert, who I'm not a big fan of, but he's uh, got a special coming up on CBS called Pickled, featuring celebrity pickleball teams competing for the Golden Gherkin, which sounds... Mildly sexual, actually. Anyway, you can watch for that later uh, this uh, year on CBS. Once again, our number to text 936-6262 And our question of the day: The Tournament of Awesome, second bracket. The first bracket yesterday saw friends beat out money. Today it's golf against snowboarding and skiing. We combine those two snow sports. We are right now, I'm taking the numbers down, we are right now just a little ahead with golf. So you can weigh in 936 When we come back on the other side, Farhan Lalji from TSN will join us for a couple of segments. Uh, this is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
0: Our house is your house. Welcome inside the sports cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM.
1: And welcome back to the Sports Cage Ballsy with you on the other side of the glass, my good buddy Colin Lovequist, who is uh, the lounge number ones at one, but he's operating the show. Good team player over there. Um, get a hold of us, 936-6262, the number of text. And all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. And our next guest is Farhan Lalji from the Sports Network. Does some play-by-play for football. He's uh, obviously uh, a CFL insider. He's a man of many talents. Uh, you're playing? Are you playing with your kid right now? I understand. My producer tells me.
6: Well, no, he's uh, working with the quarterbacks coach oh. uh, virtually, and uh, I'm just out here watching him. You know, it's funny. I, I've coached quarterbacks for years, but. I can't coach my own 13-year-old because he's too smart for me, so i got to pay money to have someone else do (laughs) it. That's funny. At least least he's getting good work.
1: Probably wouldn't listen to you anyways because you're his dad, right? That's interesting. Uh, You know, I coached a lot of minor football myself for a number of years, and I was the head coach. My son was on offense. Now he's on defense, but I gave the offensive coordinator role to another parent because i remember one time i was i i had a coach one game one time in yorkton and he was the quarterback and i ran him on four straight plays and we scored a touchdown and he comes off and he goes dad don't ever do that again i'm 13 and i'm like okay i probably shouldn't be hands-on coach do you find that too like it's probably good he learns from somebody else
6: yeah it's it's not that he questions what I'm doing it's just that he simply won't work as hard right and he's yep. generally a really hard worker right and that's the feedback he gets from his coaches but one day we were out here and we were throwing and it started snowing um and um, and it was cold and it was windy and it was a one hour workout and he had this coach on with him that you know we like mm-hmm. shot camera on a tripod and we was watching him and the full hour right like including that like the final 10 minutes like he was ripping it if it was me, we would have been home in 15 minutes Because he, like, he, he, you know that at that moment He's just like, I'd be trying to push him through And he just wouldn't have it, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone else can, can push him through, I don't think he questions what I do or don't know It's just easier to say no to dad
1: Okay, so let's start with Canadian football And I just had Henry Burris on about a half an hour ago He is the offensive yeah. He's offensive consultant now For the British Columbia Lions It's great to have him back What do you think that does for Nathan Rourke?
6: Well, I think it's good. I mean, for a guy that's played the game at a Hall of Fame level and has done so many things well and, and, you know, can make every throw on the field. And I think when Henry first came into the league, he came in as an athlete and he left as a quarterback, right? And I'm so happy for the game of football that Henry has chosen to get into coaching because I think he's he's so bright, he's articulate and engaging. So, you know, he's going to get your attention if you're a quarterback based on his resume, but also just... Who he is and how he communicates and presents, right? So you saw him on TSN, and I mean, you saw him when he was smiling, Hank, as a player. So he he knows how to how to get the message across. And he, there isn't a defense that he hasn't seen, right? So I, I think it'll be great for Nathan Arch and it'll be great for Jordan McSimmick, right? Because mm-hmm. Jordan's a bright offensive mind who's done some things, and and um, you know, and he's he's progressing really well as a coach. But I think for him to have that quarterback with him in the room, and and one thing about Jordan is I I don't think his ego would get in the way. And I I think that's one of the things that you find, especially in the NFL, where everyone's kind of afraid of who's going to get the credit and who's going to get the next promotion. And it's such a competitive grind, whereas here you're so resource-limited in the CFL that everybody kind of wants to work together to get the job done because you have to lean on other people. You got 20 coaches on a staff in the NFL. It's harder to have the same kind of impact. So I think it's good for Nathan. I think it's good for Michael O'Connor. And I think it's good for Jordan McSimmick to have Henry Burris Uh, in the room and he won't be there a lot you know he's going to be there in training camp and then he may come in once or twice a year after that most of his work is going to be done remotely you know it's a part-time position because with the football ops cap you can't
4: Mm -hmm. just hire
6: you know unlimited full-time coaches right so uh, it'll be good for him because one of the things he needs you know you think his players need game film coaches need game film like henry needed video of him doing work with quarterbacks that he could then send back out to NFL coaches if he wants to make that sojourn again because a lot of what he did in Chicago was, was you know, data and office work and film breakdown as opposed to hands-on with the quarterbacks, right?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. A good way to put it, too. I, I, I like how you put that there in a couple of aspects. Um, football is a win-now business. Uh, you look at, the, and I think it's a cool story. What could be emerging here? Very intriguing. The BC Lions are the most intriguing team, I think, in the league, just based on who they got in their depth chart right now. He's looking at it right now. Nathan Rourke and Michael O'Connor. We know the the birth certificate angle. But what do you th- like? As you look at this team, are they are they dangerously putting eggs in that bed? Like they don't have a they don't have a a true backup there. Like it's it's very interesting. That's the way I'll phrase it.
6: Yeah, that's the right way to phrase it, and I think that uh, they're taking a chance. It's a gamble, right? And and I don't think Nathan Rourke is the gamble. I think not having somebody with a few more miles in the room is a gamble, right? Like, I I think uh, it's rare in this league that a quarterback get a meaningful opportunity without injury, right? Um, You know, that's kind of how it has to happen, that, that you're there and you're almost ready. You know, whereas, like, Bo Levi Mitchell was a guy that, they knew and had a progression and a timeline for when he was going to take over and they gave him a job. But with everybody else, it seems someone's got to get hurt. And that hasn't, that happened last year where Nathan got his first opportunity and he didn't have not just in the games but in practice to really show that he warrants more of an opportunity. And they decided, you know, like, number one, Mike didn't want to come back. I mean, he had mm-hmm. decided to retire. But I think the Lions kind of wanted this. They, they wanted to be able to, see what they can do here, not have to invest a crazy amount in the quarterback and build their roster elsewhere, but for me, it's an absolute gamble, and this is no knock on Michael O'Connor. It's just not how it happens, right? Like, generally, if you've got a rookie or a young guy that's being given an opportunity to take the ball and run with it, you've got an experienced guy behind him. Like, when Travis Lule was early in his career, Kevin Glenn spent a bit of time behind him and, and so on, so that's the gamble, the room, not Nathan Rourke. So... We'll see. I mean, Nathan Work hits it out of the park, and I believe he's going to. I think Good. Nathan Work is going to do just fine. I have every reason to believe that the Lions are going to be able to win games. Right?
1: Well, maybe they could rely. Maybe who knows what happens in training camp? My next question for you is: Do you think the uh, Do you think Nick Arbuckle makes it through training camp in Edmonton the way Chris Jones kind of has a quarterback carousel?
6: Nope. Um, and that, look, that's not a shot on Nick,
1: but I like Nick a lot. Um, Do you put? Let me stop you there. Do you put Nick Arbuckle kind of in the same area or same category as a as a Dane Evans kind of guy? Yeah, possibly. You know,
6: I, I think it's I think it's a fair comparison in terms of where they were at pre pandemic, right? And you know, whether it's a guy like him or a guy like Cody Fajardo or a guy like Vernon Adams, they were kind of all in the same boat, right, in terms of limited sample size and having been given an opportunity, regardless of the circumstances that are around them, right? So. Um, there is that. So for me, when I look at Nick, I just find it difficult to throw the baby out with the bathwater. When you look at just how volatile the last 12 months have been for him, or even a little bit longer than that, when he signs the contract with Ottawa, then he gets bounced over to Toronto and now that didn't work. And now he goes to Edmonton and didn't really get a chance to play. So I think the circumstances have been tough for him. Yes, he got an opportunity in Toronto. He didn't make the most of it, but I just don't think this is a terrible player. I think there's still more game there, but they also like uh, Trevor Cornelius. They like the arm that Trevor Cornelius has. They like his athleticism. Um, you know, uh, certainly Chris Jones likes big school pedigree, and they like the Ohio State kid, JT Miller, that they just brought in, and they think there's more there as well. Mm-hmm. So for, for Nick, a tie, you know how tie goes to the runner? Tie ain't going to Nick Arbuckle. No. Right? Nick has got to win the job, and he's got to win it by more than 5% because of the difference in the contracts because it would be so much easier for them to cut him and free that money up. So he's got to clearly win the job in order for him to make it through training camp. That's how I see the scenario. I don't think he's going to... I I think they'll give him a chance, but he's got to own it and he's got to win it or it'll be tough.
1: And I think there could be a spot for him. BC could be a spot. The riders, I'm not really sure what they, nobody really knows what they have behind Cody Fajardo. And as you mentioned, kind of need to have that insurance policy, two quarterbacks going forward to win a championship. You're kind of playing with uh, fire there. All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on in the CFL here, Farhan, before we get a Canucks comment and then we'll take a break and do NFL. um, Farhan, I, I like kind of – there's some talk maybe like a drive – to survive kind of set up in the cfl i know the red blacks have done uh, doing some things on youtube now and uh, maybe even like kind of a nickelodeon angle for the younger viewer i just want to get your thoughts on that because my son is a teenage guy well he's 20 now and he i never thought he would call me from the stage and say dad i got up this morning to watch formula one but he got into it because he watched drive to survive on netflix uh how do you feel about those two angles maybe the cfl's pursuing
6: Yeah, I think those are good things, right? Um, You know, the the documentary uh, "Drive to Survive" and you know, like we've seen it, whether it's HBO Hard Knocks Mm -hmm. and things like that, like those types of programming that could really engage people of all ages and is consumable on multiple platforms. I think that's really good for the league, right? Like one thing the league doesn't have going for it is the video game piece, right? So they've got to find other digestible bits of content that allow people to get engaged. And we know about single game betting, you know, and how important that's going to be. But yeah, like I, I think it's. Um, I think it's a good idea and sorry what was the second thing the,
1: you say, the, the kind yeah. of a Nickelodeon angle you know how they yeah, went Nickelodeon, with Nickelodeon yeah. yeah
6: I, I think I, again a way to watch the game for a younger person uh, you know and you, you look at what the NFL is doing with multiple streams of their programming so if you go to Monday Night Football right you talk about Nickelodeon in the playoffs but for Monday Night Football you've also got the Manning Caps. and that might be geared a little older but maybe there's a way to do that younger maybe there's a way to you know use the data points and things like that to get, the genius sports is going to provide and find ways to create different looks to the broadcast. I mean, you know, TSN doesn't have all the answers, you know, in in all of that. And certainly, obviously, I'm a fan of what we've done Mm -hmm. uh, for the league and with our broadcast to this point. But there's other ways to do it besides getting, you know, three trucks and 20 cameras, right? Because that just might not be in the budget. There may be other ways to deliver that. So uh, I certainly think that, you know, the league thinking outside the box and, and looking at different ways to do it with those types of ideas in mind where we wouldn 't necessarily have the means to execute it previously, and now they they can I, I think is a good thing
1: you 're a Swiss army knife, so I can uh, br- of broadcasting like so many of the guys I have on here i'd like to bring up the Canucks quickly because you cover them for TSN uh, yeah. The Vancouver Canucks are an interesting team like they 're really trying hard they 're grinding they started slow. We talked about that the last time you 're on. What do they do? Are they buyers? Are they sellers? I heard rumors maybe JT Miller, somebody was talking Pittsburgh, I saw online. What do you think happens with the Canucks here as we get to the trade deadline Monday?
6: I think very little. Number one, they're not a buyer, right? Like, you know, you, could you potentially see a hockey type trade? Maybe, depending on the age of the act acquiring or the person that's being acquired. But I, I don't see it that way. Um, The question before was, were they going to sell? And now I think they're less inclined to sell because they like what they're doing right now and they want to give themselves every opportunity. And the current group, I think they believe they've earned the right to continue this. So they're not going to do anything stupid and short-sighted and go out and buy and put themselves in even more cap hell. But, um, you know, I I think they're not going to sell unless someone's willing to meet a really high asking price. So JT Miller's not getting traded is flat out too important to this team and you can't look all those guys in the room and say we're going to make a decision unless it's a home run deal mm-hmm. right like first round pick high-end prospect uh you know um and another roster player like it's going to have to be like three mammoth assets when you look at what a guy like tyler to went to calgary for and jt miller's twice the player Tafoli is right so but i don't think anybody's willing to give that and i, I think that's the general feedback right now that asking prices are too high across the board, not just in Vancouver. Um, you know, would they seriously look at moving in Tyler Myers and that, you know, terrible contract? Yeah, they probably would. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to touch Ekman Larson's contract. Uh, I think the guys to keep an eye on in Vancouver are... Um, Brock Besser's a name who's been thrown out there, but because of the $7.5 million qualifying offer he's due, I think that complicates the Brock Besser deal. So Yarrow Halak mm-hmm. is one, and Tyler Mott is the other. Right? So Tyler Mott is on a real team friendly deal He's a very valuable asset He's a great bottom six forward And he's you know, making 1.25 and, and he's UFA at the end of the year He's going to have value to some team But what's the price now Like For the Canucks, Craig Button says don't trade him unless you get a first Or a very high second Is that available you know, If they can get a top 40 pick I think you might see Tyler Mott on the move uh, But you know, a low end second or a high end third Maybe they're not as inclined to do that now And take their chances and Yarrow Halak, who's got a full no-trade or full no-move, they would love to unload, his, not just his contract now, because it's only a one-year deal, but there's a $1.25 million bonus that carries in the next year. Hmm. They want to get rid of that. So could they move the Halak deal with him having a full no-trade? Um, those are the two that are probably the most likely, in my mind. Um, you know, Meyer's less likely. He's got another two years and $6 million per, plus a no-trade. So in the end, I think they're going to be very quiet. You might see a move, but it's not going to be big.
1: Okay, we'll get a couple of quick uh, quick comments on the other side of the break from Farhan Lalji on the NFL because he covers that too in-depthly. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.
0: We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM.
1: Sports Ticker brought to you by Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right, 781-2090. Ottawa and Columbus are scoreless in the NHL. One of four games, the Flames are entertaining the Devils. Devils coming off a 6-3 wi- uh, loss. Pardon me to the Vancouver Canucks out there on the left coast. Uh, we got Pats Hockey from Lethbridge tonight. pregame show with Dante DiCaria at 6.35. Puck drops at 7. Pats, one point out of a playoff spot coming off a disappointing 5-4 shootout loss. To Medicine Hat, uh, yes, all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime—it's a great time to order Western Pizza. Ask your local Western Pizza location about their specials. We are still on the phone with our buddy Farhan Lalji. Farhan, NFL—you talked about it when you were on here last. Russell Wilson goes to Denver, then the dominoes fall. Aaron stays in Green Bay. We're getting close. Maybe is. Early as later today, Deshaun Watson. If you were to look into your Farhan Lalji crystal ball, where does Deshaun Watson end up? Wow, it's a great
6: question. You know, I think the most logical destination as I see it is probably Carolina, right? Just in terms of, you know, having played in Clemson before and the staff that's there. But really, when you look at that entire roster, you know, I'm not sure it's the best place for him to immediately have success, quite frankly. You look at Cleveland, that might be a good spot for him, right? Because, you know, they just added the receiver, right? In Amari Cooper, they've got a solid defense. Uh, their offensive line is, is reasonable when healthy. You know, when you look at the four teams that he's still considering, that might be a fit. Now, my understanding is he turned down an opportunity to go to Seattle. Um, Indiana, Indianapolis was very interested, but they didn't want to trade within the division. So those two spots aren't going to you know necessarily make a lot of sense. It sounds like Cleveland's going to be really aggressive, um, you know, Atlanta, I, I don't know how that's going to work out as far as Matt Ryan is concerned and, you know, how quickly they can move on from him, but surely there'll be a lot of teams interested there. So, you know, C- Cleveland might be the ultimate destination, right? And, again, I, I think there's a fit there with the Panthers, but I'm not sure if it winds up getting there. So, um, you know, it, it's it's whichever team has him, they better have a good backup because I would be stunned if he's not suspended from somewhere between four and six
1: games. Yeah, interesting. Right? I, I will tell you That's this. I will tell you this farhan. You've been in the business long enough to know when something leaks, it leaks from the team. Generally, they want it leaked. I, yep. you know, they, they yep. want to move on from Baker Mayfield, regardless if they get Deshaun Watson or they not. Do. I thought it was a great move by Baker Mayfield to come out. He was away off social media since January. He comes back and he basically says to Cleveland, "Hey, I love you, my wife." Loves you. We gave all we had. He wasn't cantankerous. He he didn't he didn't butt heads with the management in the media. He basically what he did was, if he sticks around, he's won the fans back. If he doesn't stick around, Farhan, he uh, he's showing other teams, hey, I've matured. I'm ready to go. But with the with the Indianapolis Colts. Go after Baker Mayfield. There's some talk about that because, like you said, they wanted Deshaun. Oh, they, they want him.
6: The, the Indian, listen, the Indianapolis Colts are very interested. But let me stop uh,
1: you. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. I'll let you continue, but why would they be? He's a smaller Carson Wentz. He makes mistakes. He's kind of, you know, he, he he brings a lot of noise to the team.
6: You're talking about Baker Mayfield, not Deshaun Watson. Yeah, right? Baker
1: Mayfield. Right, right. Why would Baker Mayfield want to go, like, does Indy want Baker Mayfield? Do you think they would? There's some talk he'd go there.
6: Well, I, look, I, I think all of these dominoes have got to fall one by one because going into the draft, there are eight teams that were in need of a quarterback, and guess what? There are still eight teams <laughs> yeah. in need of a quarterback because if you know if one go if Russell Wilson goes to Denver, well, they were one of the needy teams. Well, that makes Seattle a needy team, right? So uh, you know you're going to wind up getting the Deshaun Watson thing figured out. That's the the major domino that has to fall. And then after that, guys like Baker Mayfield, guys like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, heck, maybe even Colin Kaepernick, if you listen to Pete Carroll mm-hmm. today on the on the press conference he and John Schneider had, right? Like, And again, I, I still think that's a long shot, but there's a number of these second-tier quarterbacks that are all of a sudden going to land. Quite frankly, I'm surprised that Carson Wentz landed before the Deshaun Watson thing happened, but obviously they must have known that there was no way they were going to get him, much like they knew that Russell Wilson didn't want to go there, right? So... It's, it's just a case of how do you view the quarterback draft class and then what's next? So if you're Baker Mayfield, look, all these teams have massive egos. All of these quarterback coaches and head coaches have massive egos. My culture, my system, I can fix him because I'm better than everybody else. And look, it's a one-year deal. He's got $19 million due on that 5th year option of his contract, mm-hmm. and it's a one-year deal. If we can fix him because he did have a good year in 2020 – If we can fix it and get them back to that point, great. Very little is going to get invested to acquire Baker Mayfield. And, you know, then we can kind of work it out after that. But if not, it's a stopgap until next year's draft class.
1: Yeah, you're right. A
6: lot of teams are, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it comes down to is find a short-term solution, you know, that you can tread water with and, and, and work to your more long-term solution when you get to a better draft class.
1: Yeah, I talked about Baker Mayfield bringing the noise. Is that, I mean, he's a little long in the, he's, he's he's older now, he hasn't played in a while, but you've watched enough football. How does Colin Kaepernick take a team to the Super Bowl and then he can't get a job? Is it because he brings too much noise, too much distraction, nobody wants to touch that?
6: Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. Um, You know, when it first happened, uh, I I think there were teams that just wanted to stay away from them, right? And then every team, you you know, you have to decide whether or not your locker room culture, whether it's going to fit. And, for example, I'll give you the Seattle Seahawks, okay, which is a, a very, very open, outspoken culture when they were in their heyday and when they first looked at the possibility of bringing Colin Kaepernick in. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this, at that time, Pete Carroll said that this guy's a starting quarterback and we've got a starter. If Colin Kaepernick had been put in the Seattle Seahawks locker room then, half that group, the Richard Shermans of the world, they all would have gravitated towards Colin Kaepernick. It would have made it really, really difficult for Russell Wilson to survive that in his room because they only had half buy-in on Russell Wilson to begin with. A lot of players in that room felt he was a phony, right? Mm -hmm. So. Every every team has a story. Some teams, it's their market, right? Way too conservative. We're not going to be able to handle, you know, that because, it, you know, he's a lightning rod. And so one by one, everybody's got an answer. But in the end, the fact that you could tell me that Colin Kaepernick wasn't one of the top 70 quarterbacks in the world is ridiculous, yeah. right? He should have had an opportunity. Now you can say five years, it's been too long. All of that is reasonable. So somewhere along the way... Teams had legitimate reasons, but collectively, the fact that this guy got kept out of the league for five years, you know, people can say he wasn't good. But think of the quarterbacks that have had opportunities in this league in those five years. He is better than many of them that have been rolled out there in various franchises, uh, including, you know, like the Denver Broncos that have had so many starters, in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, since Peyton Manning left. And, you know, pick your franchise. There's been so many of them. So it's, uh, it's a sad indictment on the league. It's a sad indictment on the ownership culture, which is only getting more powerful, right? Like, you talk about why there's not enough black coaches in the league. It's because of the owners. It's because of where the money comes from and what their comfort level is. And, and you have to believe that that same type of culture is what's affected Colin Kaepernick, and it's sad. And, you know, I'd love to see him get a chance to come in and compete for a backup job. You know, is it a big presence in your locker room? Sure, but... Are you strong enough as a coach to handle it? Is he
1: contributing? Farhan, thanks for your time, man. It, uh, always informative, always entertaining, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great uh, rest of the week, okay? Thanks, Dolzy. That is Farhan Lalji from TSN. When we come back in the other side of the 6 o'clock news, we'll hear from the U of R men's basketball coach, Steve Burles, and we take a walk down memory lane. It's Where Are They Now Wednesday. you got to tune in to find out who we're talking to. It's a sports cage for spreads.ca on 620 CKRM.